0: Welcome to Bookshelf Shelfies. I'm your host Mary Barbara Hanna. Here we interview everyday people about their extraordinary lives and the books that influenced them. Hi everybody, it's Mary Barbara Hanna with Bookshelf Shelfies. First of all, I want you to notice my new surroundings. All winter, I was stuck inside in my library with terrible lighting. And now we have one of the most beautiful first days of spring happening here. It's going up to 68 degrees here in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Uh, So I'm enjoying being out on my sunny porch, natural sunlight, kind of back in my environment. Glad to be out of the darkness. Today, I have with me. I say this every time but i always feel like it's true an extraordinary guest this man sitting over here is david harris lang and i met david through his wife christine whom i met back in hong kong uh, when i was part of the american women's association so if you follow my podcast you know a few weeks ago i actually interviewed kate wiseman also from American Women's Association, the AWA. Um, but Christine and I actually, and David and my husband, we all lived in the same little village. I don't know, town. it's not really a town. It's hard to say towns and villages there for Hong Kong, called Discovery Bay. And Christine had a beautiful rescue dog, very similar to my Sydney. Um, I know that that dog has since passed away Not, um, but Christine has such an active uh, Instagram page and Facebook, I always follow their little adventures of hikes and walks on the beach and stuff. Anyway, and that's how I met David. So just briefly about David, uh, what I want you to know is that he actually became, uh, he'll tell you a little bit about his work background if you want to David, that's fine. But I met David, once I met David, I asked him to be a mentor with the Australian Chamber of Commerce Mentor Program that I ran. And we were just having right before we started recording a great uh, reminiscence about that program and his mentee that he spent a great deal of time working with. So first of all, I just want to say welcome, David. So great to have you here today.
1: Thank you very much. I really appreciate
0: it. So we won't spend a lot of time, uh, you know, we'll spend whatever time you want talking about why you live in Hong Kong. Uh, You know, there's no sense in rehashing COVID because we're all, as you said, stuck in the same boat for 18 months. We've all been housebound. Well, not 18 months, but um, but what I would like to start off with is just introducing you as the author. That's how I know you also is through this um, a series of books they wrote. Now, I have Witch of Wan Chai That's back on my shelf. But I pulled out this one because the Journal of Rabbi Levi Wang. And um, I was excited to show David that he had actually inscribed it for me when I bought it back at his author's signing. So proud of my book. Uh, I loved this book. It went so fast for me. So David is an author, he's an artist, and that's what we're talking about today with David. So welcome. Thanks. Let's start with your idea about creativity. Let's, okay. And, so, and I'm just going to open it up and you can just talk as much as you
1: like. So um, besides being an author and an artist, my main way that I earned money uh, was uh, being an architect. So mm. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an architect. And years ago, I went over from strict conventional architecture over to what we call an architecture, the dark side. I went into real estate development uh, because it was a bigger picture. Um, architecture I felt was too small a picture um, of the whole development process. And um, I actually grew up in Asia when I was uh, okay. six years old. I, uh, my family moved to Japan and I lived in Japan for 10 years until I was 16. Um, And then kind of gravitated through my work towards working back in Asia. I was working for a real estate developer in Orange County, California, and they joint ventured with a big shopping mall developer to do projects in Japan. And so I was leading that effort. Then when that big property developer wanted to do projects in China, they wanted to enter into China. They were one of the biggest um, real estate, retail real estate developers in America. Um, they said, Hey, that David guy, he kind of knew what he was doing. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's hire him. So they hired me um, as a, a director of architectural construction. And um, I moved to Shenzhen. And that was about 15 years ago. Mm. And um, we, we developed a bunch of projects. Um, in five years and then they decided the returns weren't as much as they liked they pulled out of China and and then um, actually their joint Chinese joint venture partner hired me um, as their chief architect and this is a big state-owned Chinese company and I was the first Westerner that they ever ever hired Um, and that went very well. Let Um, me
0: interrupt you for one second so I have a question for you. Yes. What languages do you speak fluently?
1: Uh, well, I'm definitely great at English. <laughs> really one of my strongest languages. I would say I'm an intermediate speaker in Japanese and in Mandarin. Uh Putong-wa.
0: Yeah. I would the reason, and it was actually one of my questions because I was I didn't realize that you were born in Japan. Uh, I mean born. Oh, that you lived in Japan during those formative years. But my question was thinking about you working in China, how soon you were able to pick up Mandarin, and the moment you realized you were no longer having to translate from English to Mandarin and Mandarin to English, like you, it just became automatic for you. Do you remember when that happened?
1: Uh, yeah, it happened pretty quick because we were doing projects in what we call second and third tier cities, not mm-hmm. Shanghai, not Beijing, you not know, yeah. we in you know Chengdu, places like that. Nobody, especially in those days, 15 years ago, nobody spoke English. Yeah. If you wanted to survive, if you wanted to eat, if you wanted to get someplace in a taxi, it was a good idea to have a little thing. Now the hardest part about Chinese versus Japanese is Japanese, it's pretty much a monotone language. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Chinese, if you get the inflection wrong, the accent yes. um it means something totally different or they don't uh, understand, um, understand what you're saying. And so, um, you know, I, it took a few years actually to be able to, and, and there's a, there's a big expectation of looking at you as a foreigner, right. that there's a big expectation that you don't speak Chinese. Even when you are. <laughs> Even, no, yes. When, when you are. And, you know, one yeah. of the key things about doing business or working or living in Asia is, not to have the other person lose face but um, there was of a, a funny incident I got, went out of a hotel I was staying in, in Shenzhen and um, I told the taxi driver in perfect Chinese um, where I wanted to go and whatever and he looks at the doorman and he's like, what did he say like I'm speaking English So then I said in Chinese uh, don't you speak, Don't you? And everybody that was standing ready for taxis started laughing. Uh, uh, (laughs) You're not supposed to make people lose face, but it was funny.
0: Right. A gentle reminder. I am actually
1: speaking. It was was funny. (laughs) It was a funny joke. But actually, um, if we're going to talk about my book that you were holding up, Rabbi Levi Wong, um, oh, I said
0: I said Wang. Sorry, Wong. Thank you. <laughs> potato, yeah. potato. But no, I That's want to say that, it right.
1: There you go. But um, the um, my father and grandfather actually um, were fur traders in China from 1923 to 1937. They lived in Tianjin, and um, when the Japanese came in in 1937, they had to escape and then they went back to New York and they just made it out without internment. One of their friends, who's actually a character in in the book that I have there, um, guy named Misha, very interesting. He was born in Siberia um, and they started to persecute Jews in Russia. So he came across the border and he grew up in Harbin. Um, But Misha got caught there and he was what was considered a stateless person. So he was put into what they called at the time, the Shanghai ghetto. Uh, as an internment um, uh, process there, but um, yeah. So that was my first first uh, my first book was um, telling the story of my father and grandfather wrapped around. Uh, so it's historical fiction, I guess. You mm-hmm, would
2: say,
1: mm-hmm. uh, wrapped around um, wrapped around fiction.
0: I would say it's a lot like um, just the energy behind it is a lot like Raiders of the Lost Ark like once you start reading, it is a thrill ride to the very last word. There's no, and and there's several times these men get into situations where I literally was like, there is no way out. That's it, I don't know how this book is an ending because there's no way they can get out of this. And they do. And that's what kept, <laughs> like I said, it's a page turner. I mean, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. Right. Um, and it's always fun to be able to hear it from the author, the inspiration behind it and kind of what got them started yeah. down the road.
1: Let, let me talk about that because Um, I was working at the time, um, this was about, um, I'd say six, six years ago, six or seven years ago when I started writing, I was working at the time for one of the biggest corporations in the world, in the world as a vice president of design and construction. And to be absolutely honest, the corporate life was making me stale. Mm. Um, It, uh it was sucking the life out of me, basically. Because when I was in college and stuff, I was very creative, I was painting, whatever. And I said, okay, I have to to regenerate my creativity to become a human being again. Um, I have to turn to art. And that is is very, very important. I think for the whole human condition, um, to be able to express yourself, whether it's writing, painting, sports, however you express yourself, I think, it's a human need to, to express ourselves. So I said, okay, painting, writing, painting, writing, painting, writing, what should I do? And um, I am I was always at, at a time in my career, I was always on uh, airplanes or uh, in cars or vans or being driven here and there and the other place. So writing was the cleanest thing. You don't have to clean brushes. <laughs> okay, I'll start writing. And then, okay, so. I remember when I was in elementary school, they say, okay, you must have an outline. Um, Now that too restrictive. I remember I'm turning to art to be free of that, those rules, those corporate, you know, um, corporate kind of restrictions of walls. And so I just started writing. Now this gets a little bit spiritual, but-
0: It's good. We're all about spiritual on this podcast. So you go right ahead.
1: So I feel that my grandfather and my father up in heaven there Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um, were um, channeling through me. They were my youth. And so I had no outline. I had no idea where the thing is going to go. I would just sit at my computer and all of a sudden, and I, by the way, I type with two fingers. Get out. (laughs) I am very (laughs) fast, though. Blinding. You can't even see. Blinding. That's funny. You're amazing. um, But I just, just. Channeled, um, channel that, and um, I, the great thing was I would wake up in the morning, and like that was another world. So when you do something creative like that, you kind of get in the zone. Mm-hmm. You focus. You don't hear anything. You don't see anything. You know, you know, you are in another world, and so these characters that I created in my other world became very real to me. So I would wake up in the morning and go oh, great, what is such and such, what are they going to do today? Or like, right, in a right. situation, how are they going to get out of this situation? Yes. And and I would discover it myself mm-hmm. as I'm typing away.
0: So exciting.
1: <laughs> and, that, um, so
0: what was the impact on your corporate life then? As you started to rejuvenate through your artistry, what was the impact on your corporate life?
1: Well, it just... If any. Um, Yeah, I don't think I don't think there was any impact. I mean, I was still doing my job or whatever. Um, It probably made me a happier person, Mm
2: -hmm. you know.
1: Um, And I had this other, you know, other interest, other world I could go to, and it kept me busy. Also, um, you know, how do you fill up time when you're not like when you're in the car or when you're in the airport? It's just a waste of time when you look out the window. Yeah, yeah. So. you know, I felt I was making very good use of my time.
0: I think it's um, for a lot of people, they have a, a misunderstanding of what it's like to travel. So my husband also uh, worked for a, cor- a major corporation over there in Ho- um, Hong Kong. Although he, he, we just lived in Hong Kong, he traveled. He had um, like Australia, New Zealand, India, uh, Sri Lanka and Thailand were the places that he covered. And so one, every week he would be going to a different place. And mm-hmm. people have this thought that you go there and then you like play and hang out and go sightseeing, and they don't spend as you're trying to tell us the majority of your time in a car, in an airplane, in a waiting area. You really are not there seeing the sights, you mm-hmm. know, touring. I mean, you, you can, you have to take time off like everybody else. You have to schedule vacation time. You know, you try to get your spouse to come with you. I mean, it's but it's not as romantic as it may sound. It is a lot of time.
1: Oh yeah, I'm, you get looking out a window. The hotel room very well. Yeah. Know? I mean, you are You know, you, you work all day. You don't have time for sightseeing. No. You have business dinners and yes. whatever. And then you go to sleep and you're up at six in the morning to, to do your thing. Yeah. And you're working remotely. I mean, everybody was learning in those days, you know, when you're in that situation, how to work remotely because you're, mm-hmm. you're on the You're on
0: the road. Right. There was a different platform that we were all very familiar with.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah Back uh, it, then. It, was, uh, it was good so anyway um I think my my father and grandfather continued to be my muse as I wrote other books, and I wrote a total of uh four books oh, very good. and um the they became um well the first one that you were holding up is a, is a thriller
0: it is, um, Yes.
1: and the others are are thrillers, kind of police murder mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind, of, uh, kind of stories and Um, what I tried to do or what, what evolved in it is my proponents are, are not all good or all bad. You know, there's good guys and bad guys, but it, it seemed to be more like real life, kind of like the yin yang.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I've got a little bit of bad in them and a lot of good or a lot of bad and a little good.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, um, but my, my ultimate goal was to evoke a feeling in the reader Mm. to transport the reader, because that's what I was doing for myself. I was transporting myself out of the everyday corporate world to transport myself uh, to another world.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Even though I never, when I was writing, I never um, went into the world of science fiction, which would be totally, you know, I was kept within the rules of physics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But definitely another time, like the book, that you held up, the Journal of Rabbi Levi Wang took place in 1937, in China, mm-hmm. because that's when the, the Japanese were entering. That was a time period. Um, but the other books took place in contemporary. And you know, I read something once about Stephen King. You know, what does he always write about? One of my favorite authors. What does he always write about? Maine because that's my neighborhood. That's what yeah, I knew. Right,
2: right. I know
1: about Japan, Hong Kong, and China, mm-hmm. because that was my neighborhood.
0: That's what you knew, yeah. Like, which of Wan Chai, so people who are not familiar with Hong Kong, Wan Chai is a neighborhood. And in fact, the first neighborhood my husband and I lived in, when we moved to Hong Kong, we lived in Wan Chai for two years before moving out there to good old DB. Let's move over, if you're ready, and talk a little bit about your new work your artistry now for people who are just listening to the podcast you won't be able to see this but you can go out to instagram and see david harris lang all one word is his instagram account and for those of you watching i'm about to give you a thrill i am going to share my screen something i'm you know all excited to do because i don't do it very often so let's see if i can um at myself over there and share and david harris Lang. now david can you see your artwork on the screen
1: i can excellent I can. so you yeah, don't i, have, I mean you can tell us in, what oh go ahead Yeah, the, the one in the upper left um is uh eating ramen um i just finished that one yesterday
0: oh really? wow that was it got yeah. posted pretty quickly <laughs> yeah.
1: and, uh, let's see if i can yeah. pull
0: it up a little bit there yeah
1: and what I, tried, what I tried to get is um, a feeling. That's what I tried to do with my books and my writing mm-hmm. is I tried to promote um, a feeling in the readers. As I said, I tried to transport them. So with this uh, drawing and my other drawings, I try to promote some sort of feeling, you know, and if you have spent any time in Japan, I mean, it's very ubiquitous the, the little ramen stand um, on the corner, um, you know, so it's a very good feeling. And and uh, as a compliment, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm on um, I'm on Instagram with these things, I post them on Instagram and a lot of Japanese people say, oh, it, it transported me back. I want to go back to my home country. You know, they're, they're yes. COVID things. And, you know, and some person even said, oh, it even smells like, you know, the ramen. So to be able to see this, you know, taste the ramen, smell the ramen, feel the ramen, be there. You know, you can see that like there's maybe a story with those three guys, you know, Mm -hmm. salaryman, whatever. Let Um,
0: me ask you some questions about this. So number one for the people, now I am myself, I'm not an artist, but I am an art appreciator. So tell us a little bit about number one, is this a photo you took or is this just from your imagination? And then second of all, what is the medium that you're using
1: here? Okay. Um, what I do is um, I do a pencil drawing first. Okay. And it's, it's really funny because I'm a big influence on my grandkids who, I can't see them because they're up in Washington state, oh. um, but um, my uh, five-year-old grandson loves to draw. And so I sent, uh, I sent to him um, half, half, a half completed drawing where it shows the pencil underneath and then the ink on top. And so now he has taken to doing a pencil sketch first when he does his little drawings of dinosaurs and and everything. That's amazing. um, But yeah, what I do is I I draw from a photograph so nobody moves, don't move. (laughs) And um, and I I do a pencil drawing first. And then on top of the pencil, I use uh, ink. I don't know if if you can see it. Um, Oh
0: yeah, perfect.
1: These are my pens.
0: Okay, Uh, great.
1: They're different. Different nib sizes. It's mm-hmm. uh, very inexpensive. Like for like five or six of them, uh, they the brand is Sakura, which means cherry blossom in Japanese. Oh,
2: okay. But, um,
1: uh, I get them on Amazon. It's like twelve bucks for. You oh, know, that's six good. Pounds. Yeah, right. And, uh, so I use I use um, pens. This is a little experimental because I use like almost like a brush stroke with a thicker thicker pen oh, okay. because okay. it's at night yeah. and it's in the shadows. So if you go back to the drawings and you look at, let's say the one I did a few days ago, uh, which was the Bund in Shanghai. Yeah, the one right next to it, you know, that's that's kind of thinner,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: thinner strokes. But you try to deal with with values. Um, you know, when you're dealing with just black and white, uh, you have line line weight, but you also have values. That you're that you're trying to, to to deal with to make it pop, so um, uh, the the values can make the drawing pop, and you're just almost like fooling the eye into believing, you know, this facial. Latency. How
0: big are these drawings in real
1: life? Oh, um, they're about uh, seven inches by six inches or so.
0: So that's amazing to me because I'm looking at the amount of detail and considering. Oh,
1: this Little sketch. Oh, okay, yeah.
0: okay. So, really, I mean, the the work is so intricate. I mean, this reminds me of like lace work when women are making lace, or you know, they're doing something so delicate and so intricate. Here's
1: here's my technique. Here, um, I put on my earphones, and I put on you know my generation music, you know, eighties, nineties rock and roll. You know, wow, <laughs> wow. Um, it's funny. I have a different. Um, different music when I work out. When I work out, I put on angry music. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and in fact- um, How do you it, feel at
0: the end of that? Do you go out and yell at Christine?
2: And furthermore? No,
1: no, <laughs> um, it, but it's good, like, well, especially like, um, my, the exercise I normally do is a boxer. I've been boxing for years. I used to box in DB on the beach with one of my Russian friends. Mm. And, um,
0: Sorry, I missed that.
1: <laughs> so at any rate um uh you know i have a bag in the backyard and you know and i i, I don't have earphones because i'm moving around so um i have a big speaker and i connected to my phone and i had i started out with all this um angry rap music american angry rap
0: how, music, how angry. close to your neighbors live
1: <laughs> well that's exactly the point and i realized that there were some <laughs> bad words being floated around and i have very nice neighbors (laughs) what i did is well and i think you're a very
0: nice man so it might be surprising although true to what you've said about your characters there's a lot of good and a little bad
1: yes oh i'm a gemini like that but at any rate um so i downloaded a bunch of uh, foreign rap music. Oh. It's so angry, but nobody knows what they're saying. I've got Israeli, I've got Arabic, I've got Italian, I've got French.
0: That is, it's you're a clever music, man.
1: But you can't understand what they're saying. That's so,
0: right. It doesn't matter.
1: It's it's great. it's great.
0: That is so funny. So, well, thank you for sharing that because I really love that story. So this artwork is done on your sketch pad. It is, and so you listen to Uh, you
2: know rock and
0: roll roll. who's your favorite who's your favorite artist who's your favorite band or singer
1: for for drawing I found uh I really like uh John Bonamassa
0: okay I'm not familiar he's an African artist
1: no 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 um I mean you're talking about the music yeah yeah no he's an American um John,
0: do you know how to spell his last name? I'll have to look him up.
1: Yeah, it, you can find him on YouTube and stuff. Uh, B-O-N-M-A-S-S-A. And um, I discovered him because one of my favorite songs is um, the old Leonard Cohen song, Bird on a Wire. Okay. And he does an amazing rendition of that.
0: Excellent. I will and then you I this.
1: got into him. Yeah. And then, so I listen to him. Um, Lloyd Spiegel is another kind of, Blues um, blues guitar guy, really good. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. All right. So this, um, you know, it's always interesting. One of the things I listen to, um, my family lives up in Cleveland, so about a three-hour drive from where we are in West Virginia. And so I listen to, uh, what is the Sirius XM uh, radio, whatever it is. And there's a a certain channel I like. It's channel 28. It's called The Spectrum. And they play you know, everything from Simon and Garfunkel all the way up to Lady Gaga or whatever is, you know, Vampire Killer or Vampire Weekend, I think it's called. I mean, everything from what was popular back in the day to what is popular top 10 right now. And uh, I listen to it so I can get my fix of my music, but I also like to learn the new music what's really you know what's hot these days kings of leon might be one of those bands. i was just or...
1: listening to them the other day kings of leon
0: yeah they're very yeah. good yeah. right
1: you know with the technology we have you you have access to, to millions of things yes and you know um we all have children in their 20s and so you just download their playlist right and, right and i was and super cool you know and, and exactly
0: except for, I didn't know this one person, but I'm going to learn. Uh, I was laughing the other day. I, I was thinking, it's funny.
1: It's... go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it's funny that, you know, certain artists are conducive to what you're trying to do. Yes. And like I said, John Bonamassa really is the best for me with the art. You know, for some reason I've tried other guys and, you know, uh, you know, but that that just kind of does it for me
0: yes
1: when I used to um, I'll tell you I'll tell you how um, I met um, my Russian friend and we started boxing together because it's a funny story um, in in Asia we actually were both living in Shenzhen at the time and we we didn't know each other and we we lived in the same apartment complex. and in that apartment complex in the bottom, there was uh, a gymnasium and they had a punching bag. So I would go down there and punch the bag. And all of a sudden this other Caucasian guy comes down. And so we're kind of interspersing. I punched the bag. He punched the bag. And I said, hi, uh, my name's David. Instead of hitting the bag, why don't we just hit each other? <laughs> and, and it was, it was great. And and we started like a long, you know, I've, I've known him for now. We've been boxing together for like 12, 13 years. Oh my god. Um, uh But we listened to Ramstein. Rammstein is a German kind of, and they were angry, very oh. angry, and it was great. So I'm still, when I box, I, I listen to Ramstein, and it's really conducive to.
0: All right, Ramstein. I'm gonna figure out how to spell that.
1: Ramstein. R A M M
0: R A M
1: M Ramstein. S T E I N. Probably. S T Yeah, been around. Okay, very a good. Long time. Younger people listening to this will say they're still listening to Ramstein. What's with these old people? You know, but <laughs> you know, you know, I, I it is very conducive to, to what you're, what you're doing.
0: Do you think um, that you will? So you've tackled writing, and um, what, now did you tackled writing because painting, maybe, or drawing is your first love. But because we talked about the travel issue. So you got to come back to painting because now you have time for it. Would you say that's accurate? I mean, and this comes from-
1: I wanna talk about inspiration. Yeah. Because um, I was very inspired to write when I was writing in Asia. All of a sudden, a year and a half ago, I came back to America. My division at my corporation was sold. They gave me a really nice severance package I came back to America. I have a house here in California. And um, and I started my own consulting business that, you know, based out of Hong Kong. And I did a couple of projects in Cambodia before COVID shut all international travel uh, down. But the inspiration to write fizzled. And I was inspired to draw. Hmm. Why? I don't know. What What is it about America that inspired me to draw more than... Um, inspiring me to write and so and, and Asia inspired me to write these stories so I, I don't know the answer to that but ins- you have to go with your inspiration right there's no sense and, in fighting it yeah, you, exactly exactly and you know as I said I'm an architect I grew up in the pre-digital era um, you know when I, I had lots of project managers when I was working and they all drew through a computer. That's mm. how I thought. AutoCAD. I developed early on, very early on, actually, um, kind of a pencil, hand, arm, eye, mind connection. Before we moved to Japan, my dad used to take me every weekend to the Museum of Natural History in New York. Oh, and wow. I would draw, the they have stuffed animals in there. And I would draw the stuffed animals. That was my first start of drawing, and that relationship with a pencil,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that that became um, that became very very strong. Uh, so I naturally evolved into the pen and ink, as as opposed to there's lots of artists that do digital art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I tried that, and I I could barely figure out how to, you know. It, no, so, um, <laughs> no. Uh, so at any rate, um, so the pen and ink came very naturally to me. And then I'd like to talk a little bit about sort of my influence. Absolutely. In that, and there are two artists that were the biggest influence for me. And one is um, Vincent van Gogh. Okay. And the other one is a Japanese uh, woodblock print artist called Hokusai and um they're both like really into the line line weight line with very few lines expressing a feeling Uh the simplicity of their work Mm -hmm. um i'm not saying it translates directly or you can see my work and say oh that's that's hokusai's influence but um but they are a big influence to me and so um you know, now I, I get this create this um, this kind of joy of creating through through the the pen and ink.
0: It's really you know as I look at these pictures, and again, you know, I'm just thrilled with the detail. So these um the photos are they your photos or photos? Yeah, you found? I want
1: to stop right there so I can tell it. Yeah, um, they're they're my photos and um the. Uh, like what I'm trying to do is express a feeling of what it's like. So on the, the left
2: mm-hmm.
1: at the top, that's uh, some salary men eating yakitori okay. as a very common scene. So, you know, how do you get the feeling of what it's like? Can you smell that chicken on the stick there? You mm-hmm.
2: know,
1: um, you know, and if you go back to the other.
0: The ones that before we go back, I will say this guy, he looks like every businessman, you know, right an older gentleman you can see a little jowly there maybe a little tired around the eyes sitting down for some comfort food before he has to go back to the office
1: Mm. yes um that car in the middle that's that's next to my daughter's house in who's washington there's an empty lot with this 1930s international harvester that's amazing and uh you know so it, it had a, it has a feeling, you know, and yeah, did uh, you so. ever
0: um hike on DB? Did you ever come? I know you guys were near the um where the boat was, the ferry, and then we lived on the south side, I guess you would call it, where you could get the ferry over to um, Mui Wo. And, thank you, Mui Wo. Yeah. and but you could also walk along that beach and then hike over to Muiwo. I did
1: like, it so frequently, I love that hike.
0: Do you know what I loved about that hike was the old jeep? I don't. And this is what this picture is reminding me of. I remember that of.
2: jeep. Yeah, <laughs> that jeep, right? Jeep. Yeah.
0: I, when the first time I saw the jeep, I thought of Mash. But now, when I look at this car, I think of that old jeep that was on that hike over that way.
1: Yeah, and how did it get there?
0: Exactly, because yeah. it really is in the middle World, of
1: nowhere. World War II or what? You yeah, know? right. So and that's an interesting. There's a story to everything. So even though I'm not writing, I'm I'm drawing. Yeah. Every drawing has a story. There's like a story.
0: Well, they're beautiful stories. Let's. This is another great one. Tell people a little bit about this, place.
1: Okay. This. This is called Tai O, and it's a fishing village. And uh, Christine and I used to um, go there occasionally. Um, and it's it's a really interesting place. Um, it's become very touristy. Yeah. Uh, but you can really see that underneath the tourism, there's a life of people who actually live here and make their living uh, from fishing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There is there, there's, this is, uh, on Lantau Island, Tai O. Yeah. And this is, um, for, again, people not familiar with Hong Kong, Lantau Island is where the airport is. So if you've ever traveled in or through Hong Kong, that's where you've landed is on this island. And this is, I think on the South side where the airport is kind of on the North side of the Island. I think Tai O is on the more South side. There's actually a hotel there that I think it's a hotel, like a UNESCO World Heritage site. Yeah
1: yeah it's over it's, there. yeah, it's been renovated it's quite beautiful interestingly that hotel was originally a police headquarters oh, and hi. and just like the police headquarters in central was yes. renovated the westerners came in and they put so much detail and so much beauty into these police headquarters i believe in a racist way mm. to make the locals think look how powerful we are yeah. you know you know, even our holding cells are this beautiful Victorian, you know, detailed stone and archway and Dallas. And and I I think it really was um, sort of a, we are the powerful Westerners. Yeah. You know, um, but anyway, they're beautiful buildings. But police headquarters typically were, you know, to show the locals just how powerful. Interesting. um, the, the, The architecture was quite involved.
0: I do remember going to Tayo and the uh, walking over the bridge and see, kind of seeing this view, and people buying freshly caught fish. You know, coming over like on the left side, there was like a place you could walk down and buy fish right off the boats, and the houses on stilts. And just it's such a, you know, for somebody from like me from Ohio, you know, a Midwest upbringing, uh, oh, to see such authenticity. I guess to really see and that was something I wanted to sort of ask you about only if you feel like discussing it but you know when you live in two different cultures what strikes you most because these are really two strikingly different cultures and we can go back to looking at some of your other artwork here but as you kept you know when I although I would say someone who is raised in a different culture you may not have had the same awakening that a lot of us do. I didn't come to Hong Kong until I was probably 48 years old. It was the first time I ever lived abroad. I'd never been to China. Um, I traveled a little bit in Europe, but had never lived anywhere other than Ohio. So Mm. it was, um, there was a big, big Mm. learning curve, I guess is the word, learning to live in a different culture. And um, my husband traveled immediately once we landed, literally we landed like on Friday, we were in our little apartment on Saturday and Monday he was on a plane. And I didn't know anybody, didn't speak the language. I had jet lag, <laughs> I mean, you know, it was kind of disastrous.
1: Justine um, yeah, also had never lived outside of America when she came over to, to live. In.
0: Well, um, I'll tell you, I mean, we're not here to promote AWA, American Women's Association, but thank God for it. Because, um, you know, that was really where I met my amazing amount of friends, including your wife. Yeah, but, uh, let's, uh, yeah the,
1: the, the culture, especially, um, not so much living there, but if you're going to do business, you have to understand it. Now, for me, growing up since I was six in different cultures, um, it's uh, it was very you know I'm I'm fluent in cultures, you know mm-hmm. I, understand it. I, I I get it. Um, you know it's interesting. I would see a lot of foreign businessmen come to China um, over the years, and um, two things would, would happen. Uh, in terms of, of doing business. One would be, um, they would try to do things back the way we did in Kansas. This is how we do it in Kansas. Now you locals are gonna do it like I do it in Kansas. So they would hit the, the brick wall pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And then the other group would say, oh, this is wonderful. I'm living in China. Um, oh, these local people, I understand the culture you know, I'm, I'm eating dim sum, this is fantastic. And I'm gonna do it just like the locals. Well, they fail in their job because you aren't, you're not hired as an expat over there to do things just like the locals. So what you've gotta do is be culturally sensitive and steer people towards um, getting the results which are global results that you want, so you have to find your own way. Mm-hmm. I kind of liken it to an analogy of, that I frequently use is the analogy of a sheepdog. Um, a sheepdog is really effective if it has some black and some white, because the sheep are afraid of the black and they don't care about the white. So we have an all white sheepdog the sheep go get out.
0: That's amazing.
1: If it's, if it's all black, they just freak out and they don't do anything. Like a Westerner that comes over there and gets on a job site and starts yelling at people. That, that ain't gonna work. Um, so you have to be culturally sensitive to the area you're in. And then there's, there's a lot of differences. For instance, I've done a lot of business in Japan and I've lot of, done a lot of business in China. Two are 180 degrees different. Yes. And um, a lot of Americans come over there and Asian is Asian. China, China, Japan—it's all Asian. Mm-hmm. Philippines, all the same. That's not true. And um, you know, like I found very quickly that the Japanese, which I understand their mind working, uh, they think quite differently than than Westerners in terms of doing a project. I'm talking about architectural projects or construction projects. Now, um, in America, we're at a point A, and we want to get to point E. And so we have a chronological thing that we go A, B, C, D, E, boom, we're good. In Japan, they're on A and they have what they call study sessions and everybody gets around and they discuss it and discuss it and discuss everything. And then a week later, okay, another study session and and they're discussing the same things and going around going around and just the same questions and whatever. And after a while, you have to push them gently. Mm -hmm. um, You know what? We've gone over A, over and over again. We got A resolved. We have harmony. They're trying to reach harmony. Ah. We have harmony in A, let's go to B. Let's go to B, time to go to B. Chinese, totally different. You're on A and usually a Chinese hierarchy, there's one guy at the top Mm -hmm. that makes the decision. In Japanese hierarchy, it's really the project managers that are making the decision to move forward. China, it's a one strong guy at the top, and he goes, "We're at A, let's go right to E." <laughs> and you have to hold them back because you have to explain to them that if we go from A to E, you're not going to like the results. We have to do B, C, and D mm-hmm. to get your schematic design, design development, you know, construction docs before we get to and you know you can see as you drive around china you'll see like what looks like as you're whizzing by in a car a beautiful building but then when you go into the building you can see the detailings just doesn't work you know that's what happened so totally different cultures so you have to understand what culture you're dealing with where they're coming from what the goals are and then the biggest thing in business that i found is is you know how do you influence people and that has to do a lot with culture too
2: yeah for sure
1: um You know, the Chinese are in terms of the the culture are are more like Westerners in terms of, you know, a little harder to insult. Japanese are very sensitive. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all different with Singapore, Philippines. It's all it's all different. So you have to understand how can you influence the stakeholders Mm -hmm. Uh, just like um, in your own company? You know, I all my staff were Chinese and how do I mentor them? Uh, you know, typically in China, there's a um, kind of, there's always been kind of this philosophy for thousands of years of kill the messenger, So they never give you any bad news. Mm-hmm. I'd have to train all my staff that, okay, look, something happens on the job site. Do not try to solve it yourself. Bring it back to the team. We'll all solve it together mm-hmm. and then everybody will be happy.
0: You could teach a masterclass, David. I could listen to you talk about this for hours. Seriously. Yeah. like If you're like, oh, I'm going to offer a masterclass on cult, you know, cultural sensitivity, I'd be like, I'm totally signing up for this. It's so interesting. <laughs> I suppose also because Thank I you. live there, so it's meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. I actually did do some cultural training uh, because that's actually my profession. I am an adult educator, workforce development. Oh. And um, while I was there, I worked for some uh, some women from Australia, through the Chamber of Commerce, that's how I met them, that Australian Chamber of Commerce, Chamber of Commerce. And they could not get a gig at the American club because they were not American. And the people at the right. American club had to have an American trainer to teach. Mm. Even though the staff was Chinese, local Chinese, mm-hmm. um, Their most of their clients, I mean, I guess most of the members would have been Americans. So they really wanted somebody authentic, I guess you would say. And I remember that the one conversation I had with them was, you know, I showed them a commercial, um, the old Burger King commercial, Have It Your Way. And people came in and they would order burgers any way they wanted. And the people behind the counter would smile any way you want it. That's the way, you know, we'll give it to you, whatever you want. And I said to the workers there, you know, when people... You know westerners tend to be just very direct not as direct as germans or some of our uh, you know those nordic countries uh but we're very direct and so when we ask you for something and you can't give it to us we're not mad at you we just want to know why or just tell us we can't have that you know mm-hmm. and i said but if you can just understand they're really not mad at you they're just trying to get what they want like the burger king commercial you know, special orders don't upset us. That's what we want to hear. And a couple of months later, I saw one of the attendees and he said to me, you know, uh, Miss Mary, that what you told us changed my life. I used to hate coming oh, to work yeah. because people were always yelling at me. But when I realized they weren't actually yelling at me, they were just telling me what they wanted. It's it like made all the difference in the world to me. And right. so it really is, you know, to your point, when we start to understand other cultures and what it really means. And I think some of, you know, without getting political, really, you can't, you know, every country puts out propaganda about their country. And I think many times, if you can really just talk to people who truly live and work in those cultures and get to know them, you'll find that mm-hmm. underneath it all, we're so much the same. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be safe, feed their kids, have a house. Mm-hmm. Enjoy a good meal. Yep. Right. I mean, that's, that's the reality. You can't listen to what the government say because they'll have you still sell, sell you a whole bunch of nonsense. Anyway, like I said, let's not get too political, Mary Barb, <laughs> on your podcast. But uh, we are wrapping up. We have a few minutes left. Mm-hmm. And before we go, I want to know, is there anything I didn't get to ask you or that you hoped we would talk about or you haven't said something you wanted to say that you haven't had a chance to say?
1: No, i I I think I've expressed you know my my premise, which my premise is that um, a human being has a need has a need to uh, express their creativity um, in the world, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's less than human unless you can do that, and it doesn't have to be through art or writing; it just you can express it through anything that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know um so i to me that that's that's the important part of why i draw or write or do art of any sort
0: oh i want to mention also you're having an art show in new york city do you want to tell us a little bit about that now oh yeah go ahead and tell us about that because i'm thinking you're this interview even though it's march when we're talking may not come out until the second or third week in april so but i i can promote Show. So I don't know when your art show actually is.
1: Okay, I think it's from March 24th to April 4th.
0: Okay, so I can talk, I can um, promote it. Yeah, before this.
1: It's at the the Vanderplas Gallery, V A N D E R P L A S. And it's kind of interesting. Um, I never had any intention of selling any of this art, Um, I just basically do it for me, because I I like to express myself, Um, but I have a lot of followers on Instagram. And so through Instagram, this gallery contacted me and said, hey, would you like to be in this show? And um, I said, yeah, that sounds cool. I did a little investigation on them, you know, on the internet and they seem legit. So I just uh, shipped nine of my paintings or drawings off to, uh, to their gallery in New York. Well, okay. And I just received this morning you know, that they just got them. Oh, so the that they received them. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. It, yeah. It's a little bit, you know, I resist a little bit because it's a little bit of an ego thing, you know, because like I said, I'm not, you know, they're up for sale in the gallery, um, but um, my intention was not to do it, to make mm. money.
2: Mm -hmm. I think
1: that becomes a problem. I mean, once again, talking about creativity, if you were to write to make money or do art to make money, the, I think that kind of hampers you, you know? uh,
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do this podcasting. I don't make a dime. I pay for everything myself. I pay for my Zoom. I pay for my website, but I love Doing this, I love talking to people. I love finding out about them, and especially, you know, situations like this. David, you and I would probably never have a conversation. There's no, there would be no real reason for us to be like, "Hey, let's Zoom today, okay?" Yeah, but yeah. you, the minute I tell people I'm doing an interview and I have this podcast, I would really love to talk to them. Um, you know, it brings out a different part of a relationship that we've. You know, I've talked with a lot of people: mm-hmm. my brother, my cousin. But, you know, I learned things about them we just would not normally talk about in an everyday conversation.
2: Yeah.
0: And so the, exactly the same, I don't, I'm not doing this because I hope to be the next Oprah Winfrey, you know, I'm doing it because
1: and I, you know, I think, literally
0: I can hire myself. I can do what I want because of this amazing yeah, world of technology these days.
1: Yeah, because I think, once you start having that conversation of I want to make money with this, the conversation changes yeah. and I would be thinking, okay, what am I going to draw next? Um what will sell? Mm-hmm. What do I want to draw next? Mm-hmm. What is What is it about this subject that I want to express? It's more like, um, uh, you know, what will sell? And then you've bastardized the whole process.
0: Yeah.'ve you've, well you yeah, you've come back to a place where you might as well be working in the corporate world.
1: Yes, exactly right. right. And then there's this is anxiety. Will it sell? Will it won't sell. If none of my drawings sell in, in New York at the gallery, I don't care. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice I, if you do, because it's, it's kind of a justification. By the way, that, that dog you see leaping in the air, catching the ball, that's the dog you're hearing right now.
0: Oh, is this Ava? It,
1: That's Ava. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love I love pictures of Ava. Like I said, this is I I know Christine had, I cannot remember unfortunately, your first the other dog's name from Hong
1: Kong. Skylar.
0: Skylar. Yes, thank you. Um, I actually still have my dog Sydney here with me on the farm in West Virginia. She's great, a beautiful nine-year-old, just celebrated her ninth birthday.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But um, yeah, I do love to see those pictures and it and it really makes me wish for some time back in Hong Kong. You know if money were no object, I would, and COVID didn't exist, I suppose, I would put me and Sydney back on a plane and go hiking in DB. I truly miss it. Um, we have beautiful oh, hiking yes. here, but not like DB.
1: Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to, to uh, going back to visit Hong Kong as soon as COVID is over. I mean, this week, actually, I get my second vaccination. <gasps>
0: Yay, that's so great.
1: Hopefully, hopefully once they, they'll take the quarantine off for Yes,
0: that is so great. My husband has his first shot and we're waiting. He's got a couple more weeks till his second one. I'm not in that age group yet because I'm so young.
1: So young. You're so young. Exactly.
0: Uh, No, I'm just a few weeks behind, I think. But um, (laughs) listen, I don't want to monopolize your time. It is the morning down there. I want to let you go. I just want to ask you a few questions that I ask all my guests. Um, Do you use bookmarks when you read?
1: By a bookmark? Do you mean a physical bookmark? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because first of all, I don't like reading on a- Oh, you know, the
0: electronic.
1: electronic yeah. you know, what do you get, Kindle. Yeah. Yeah, the I'm Kindle. trying to, I remember, I'm trying to like turn the page. How do you turn the damn page? Right, like right. holding a paper book in my hand. Yeah. And yes, I, I, I use bookmarks. I have a really cool one I've been um, using for probably the last year or so is from the Powell Bookstore in um, Portland, Oregon, okay. and which is a really cool bookstore. And so, yeah, I got my bookmark. Yes, sir. All I
0: right, very good. And do you ever dog ear the pages? What if you don't have a bookmark?
1: Then I, I would do that. <gasps>
0: okay. It's really fun to ask these questions because <laughs> I have some people that are absolutely against dog earing and other people are like, yeah, what's the problem? And do you yeah. prefer paperback or hardback books?
1: Uh, I'm pretty much like them. A- you know, paperback, but okay. like what I've been doing recently, you know, for a while there, I, I'm, especially in COVID, I read a lot, like every mm-hmm. night and, um, I was getting books through Amazon, you know, blah, blah, blah constantly. But then I, I discovered that the used bookstore in town, um, is considered an essential business. So they're open for people to go into, oh, that's and, good. you know, because I wear a mask and they're real sure. nice. They spray down the books when you want to buy them. So I've just been buying it. So, at this point, it doesn't matter whether it's hardcover or paper. Um, It's what catches my interest.
0: What do you, uh, how do you feel about writing in books? Even though you signed mine, it's written in, but I mean, other than that, do you, are you a writer in the margins?
1: I don't, I don't, I'm like not a note taker or whatever, Um, you know, and I think that would slow me down, you know, because once again, I'm I'm, I want to transport into this world. I see. I want to say, oh, I guess if, a, if I was reading a textbook. Yeah. Uh, or or something of, of that nature. But um, I've never done that. I don't think I've ever written in a book.
0: Okay. And then um, what do you read to your grandchildren?
1: Oh, well, this is a good thing because, you know, I have two grandkids that live in Hoosome, Washington.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, because of COVID, I haven't seen them in a year or so. So every uh, Sunday morning, I have story time with them on zoom. Oh, I love that. Zoom. So I was reading uh, stories that I would find that, that they would like. And at that age, which is three and five, they like stories that include uh, dragons, Mm -hmm. princesses, you know, whatever. And I started to read them. I think the last book we read was um, The Shy Stegosaurus of Cripple Creek oh, or something. Like that. Yeah. But, um, but then all of a sudden, a few weeks ago, they said, Grandpa, we want you to make up stories.
0: I was gonna, that was my next question, being a writer.
1: So yeah, so now I'm, I make up stories so and um, it's cool. And then I, I get, so I have to, every, as I'm under pressure, so now, every Sunday, I have it come up with- Your kids have story. taken the joy out of it. <laughs> so, no, 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 I no. I, I like it. So <laughs> the, when I first started doing this, and it, that was really successful, um, I was influenced by uh, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Oh, yeah, right. That's a great movie. And, and, and they, have, um, they have two cats, two kittens. So the, the proponents are always um, the brother and sister, and they're two cats. The cats are usually the smart ones that are arranging everything. And then this this last Sunday, um, I, it was a race where everybody in the race was trying to cheat, and the cat <laughs> things. And they had a race from from um, Trout Lake, Washington, this is where they go to school, or the older one goes to school, to um, Hood River, Oregon, which is you know it's about an hour's drive. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they had, there was a giraffe and a hippopotamus and all this stuff. And each one tried to cheat in some way. Oh, that's so funny. And and so they had a friend, um, uh, Edward, the Eagle, who, you know, was wired up and was telling him what's going on. And then Edward (laughs) would do something that would ruin the cheaters plans. Oh,
2: I
0: love it.
1: So um, yeah, so it, so, it, so it's, now it's I'm
0: fun. kind of expecting a little bit like we've got some great uh, stories, and I know Grandpa can draw very well. So I'm imagining that maybe Grandpa is going to start illustrating a children's book.
1: That would be great. Yeah, I've thought about it. that. That would be that would be very. That would be I very hope
0: fun. I hope if you do that, you'll let me know, and we'll have you back, and okay. you can share your drawings and a little bit about storytelling yeah. in a different way.
1: Yeah, that would that would be fun. Excellent.
0: David, thank you so much. Again, I'm just checking. Was there anything else you wanted to say? I don't want to cut you no, off.
1: I, I think um, think we covered it all. Thank you Excellent. very much. Let me stop to- sharing our
0: screen. So again, this is David Harris Lang on Instagram. You can go out and see his work there. If you're in New York City, first of all, lucky you uh, to be in a beautiful town like that. And uh, you can stop by. Vanderplast Gallery in New York City to see his work now, of course, when I'm telling you this you're probably not going to it's going to be after that, so I will try to either squeeze you in a little sooner. So people can actually go see or they can find you online either way, David Mm -hmm. i'll say goodbye to you off the air, but for the rest of my audience, thank you again for joining and uh, I look forward to talking with you again bye.